Well, those are some smart kids, don't you think? How many can believe God answers prayers pretty quickly? I can attest to that. About 10 seconds ago, I hit something on my iPad and my sermon disappeared. And I said, Lord, help me. <laughs> and he came back. So anyway, we, we have been doing a series for the last month or so called God Is. And it's been a series, kind of the most basic discussion we, we can have is what is God like? What does the Bible tell us? about our great God, what He's like, what it means to us in everyday life. Last couple of weeks, you may recall, we've been looking at the two sides of the coin. God is loving and God is, is just. He's a loving God and He's a just God. And how we walk, not, we walk not just in the center but closer to His love, but recognizing that one day we'll give an account for our life. This morning, I want you to look with me. John chapter 16. John 16, we're looking at the words of Christ Jesus talking to His disciples. The book of John speaks the longest narrative about the last week of Christ, the passion of Christ. Jesus is teaching His disciples. He's preparing them for His crucifixion and His leaving. And notice what He says. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament or mourn. You'll be in tears, but the world will rejoice. And right off the bat, we're going to see that sometimes we as Christians are going in one direction and the world is going in another. Some things that you love and embrace, other people think are crazy. People ride by the interstate today and they're wondering, what, what are those people doing in there? What do they get out of church? I don't get anything. Yet you come here and you hold a cup of communion, you sing, and tears come from your face. I mean, something is transformational is happening, but not everybody embraces it. And then Jesus made this provocative statement. He said, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. In other words, he's going to be crucified. They have followed him for three years. Uh, several thousand people are, 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 would call themselves followers, 11 men most closely, his apostles. Uh, he's affected tens of thousands of people. But now he's basically saying trouble is coming. And that's a word I'm going to speak about this morning, what to do when trouble comes. He's telling the disciples, you're going to be sad, you're going to weep, you're going to mourn. But then he gave them this great promise is that your mourning, your sadness, this trouble is not going to last forever, but I'm going to turn it around and your sorrow is going to turn into joy. And I want to speak to you this morning. This is going to be very much a message of hope. I've entitled it, A Turnaround God. And I'm going to speak to you about the nature of God as we deal with life struggles, as we... You may be going through a, a painful divorce or a relationship is in trouble or a, a season of confusion in your life or uh, how many know times of brokenness, businesses could be in trouble. You could have lost your job. God is able to take what's going down and turn it right side up. God is able to fix what's broken. I'm a, I'm a testimony of that today. God can turn someone that was entangled in alcohol and drugs going this way and God can turn them around, come on, and put you on the right track. He's a turnaround God. So that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. I think it's going to encourage you. It will be very practical because in your life, one common thing that we share is we all face trouble. And what I want you to understand today, in the midst of the trouble, God wants to be with us and He wants to turn our trouble into triumph. So let's stay together because this is not automatic. God doesn't have a magic wand. God doesn't choose you and neglect you. There's something that we do in a cooperative way in the process and we'll explore it as we speak of a turnaround God. Now, when I use the word turnaround or a turnaround God, here's what I mean. God changes things for the better. I mean, can say amen to that. God can take a good marriage and make it great. God can take a broken marriage and God can make it good and then God can make it great. 
God can take a heart of rebellion and God can turn it uh, into a soft heart. God can take a child that doesn't care what mom and dad say and God can restore that child in a loving fashion. God can take depression and He can turn it into joy. You see, God can take someone that's headed in the wrong direction, someone that's destroying their life, and God can put them on the right track and give them self-respect and give them a sense of purpose. He can turn defeat into victory. When you feel beaten down by life, by people, when you feel ignored and neglected, God can turn our defeat into a victory. He can turn depression into happiness. Uh, he can turn poverty into prosperity. God is a God who can turn tears into laughter. I say it this way this morning. He's a God who can turn trouble into triumph because He's a turnaround God. Can you say that with me? He's a turnaround God. You say, well, what do you mean? Is that just nice preacher talk? Is that kind of positive words and all that? No, it's more. The Bible shows us this. Before the day of Pentecost, you remember, the church were, was hiding in the upper room. They were scared of what would happen. After the day of Pentecost, the church became a force in the earth. You know why? It's because a turnaround God got involved in their world. Uh, you remember Peter, he's in prison, Acts chapter 12. James has been beheaded. How many know it looks pretty bad? It looks like Satan is going to win. It looks like the persecution is going to stop the church. But in the middle of the night, he's going to be beheaded the next day. An angel pops up. How many know that's good news? How many know the Bible says angels are at work in the earth today? Yeah, an angel shows up on the scene and he says, Peter, stand up. And he stands up and his, his handcuffs fall to the ground and his shackles fall off of him. And they start walking together and he gets to a locked door and the door opens of its own accord. And he's outside and he's going, whoa, what happened? A turnaround God showed up. Uh, Elijah in the Old Testament. Remember, there was a widow. There was a famine in the land and she was near death. She was going to make her last meal for she and her son, and then they were going to eat it, and they were going to die. Elijah the prophet came up and said, If you'll give me something to eat, God will bless you. And she took a step of faith. She gave him the most precious thing she had, her last meal and a drink of water in the middle of a drought and a famine. And lo and behold, God supernaturally filled her pot with, with, with flour and with oil because he's a turnaround God. And how many know the Scripture says he's the same yesterday today and forever. How about Joseph in the prison? Joseph is a young man with a dream. He starts out up here. He ends up in Egypt as a slave. It gets worse. He goes into prison. But guess what? He ends up as the vice president of the land because he serves a turnaround God. Even Jesus, the greatest example for us, he dies on the cross, buried in a tomb. Up to that point, death was final. But how many know three days later, the turnaround God opened the door and Jesus came out alive. He is a turnaround God. And as I speak this to you this, this morning, I want to encourage you with these words of hope, but I want to encourage you to participate in the process as well because it's not automatic. God doesn't have a magic wand that He just waves over some person and that automatically gets better. We do something in the journey of faith with Him to see His hand at work in our life. Now, I want you to look in Acts 16. We're going to spend the morning together in a chapter of the Scripture with one of the greatest men, arguably, in the whole Bible, Paul the Apostle. Paul himself was a product of a great turnaround. He started out as a very dedicated, zealous, religious man. Unfortunately, he was wrong. I mean, you can be very educated, but be very wrong. You can know a lot about the wrong things, or your interpretation can be totally off. That's what he was. He was going around as a Jewish man, persecuting the church of Christ. He encountered the living Lord Jesus Christ, and God turned him around 180 degrees. So we see Paul's life as we look at the journey He's a man on a mission. 
And hopefully you and I, there's a, there's a, there's a theme, an undercurrent in, in, in all of the Bible, in all of Christianity, in all the people that you see who God do great things in their lives, is they're serving God. They're living for God. They see their life as an extension of God's will. They regularly pray the Lord's Prayer. Let your, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Prayer is not just a gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy, but, 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 but prayer is part of the journey of life that we engage ourselves in, in, in the purposes of God for us. Well, Paul's like that. He's making multiple trips around the Mediterranean world, and, and each time he goes, he, his, his typical habit is, as a Jewish man, called to reach the Gentiles, he starts in the synagogue and he preaches Christ. He takes the Jewish Scripture, the Old Testament, and he unfolds it to show the world that Jesus is the fulfillment of these great prophecies. Well, as he does that, he always encounters two things. One is, some people believe, but some people reject. Can I tell you, it's the same way today. Some people embrace the words of Christ and some people say, I don't need it. Well, oftentimes with Paul, it would turn violent. Uh, just like our world today, we, we're no longer a nation of just dialogue and discussion of facts. Uh, groups, different interest groups know how to use violence, how to use threats, how to use intimidation to get what they want. Well, in their world, it was happening to Paul. And This story today, we're going to find Paul in a prison cell. And what I want you to see is here's a guy that's doing good that ends up in trouble. And that's the first thing I want you to kind of let settle in your heart today because you and I ought believe that if we'll just do right and be right, everything will go right. But how many know sometimes when you're living for God, trouble comes, and it comes because the enemy, Satan, is attacking us, or, or, or we live in this world. But I want you to see that there's a good man in a prison cell for doing nothing wrong, only helping people. And then we're going to see what he did to get out of trouble and how he found the turnaround God. Acts 16, verse 16, Paul and his partners are going to the place of prayer. And he was met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So here's what we got. This is their version of the psychic hotline, but it's the real deal. I mean, it's not a fake. And, and let, me, let me share with you for just a moment. There is a real spiritual deception in the world. There is a spiritual counterfeit. And the Bible warns us against witchcraft. It warns us against sorcery. It warns us against spells and omens and, and psychics and tarot cards and, and these type of things where people try to tap into the supernatural. How I many know you can tap into the supernatural, but it may not be God? You know, you can have a, a psychic is, is the counterfeit for a true prophet of God. And how I many know Satan will always lead you into a ditch? I want to highly discourage you from playing with you know, Ouija boards and tarot cards and all those kind of things. I would discourage you from going to movies where that's the theme, where witchcraft is the theme, television shows where that's the theme. In my day, it was very innocent. It was bewitched, and she would, you know, twinkle her nose a little bit. Well, today, it's very graphic. It's very demonstrative and very demonic. And there can be a hunger in your heart to tap into that. Can I tell you, it's a spiritual counterfeit. And it'll reap havoc in your life. The whole deal with vampires and zombies and horror movies. It opens doors in our life. Doors that don't lead us to Christ, but doors that lead us away from Him. Doors that bring substitution for a false, the counterfeit, rather than the good. Well, that's what's going on. This girl had a gift, but it was a demonic gift. She followed Paul for a couple days. In verse 18, he's tired of it. And he turned and said to the Spirit. Interesting. Now, in our world today, if you go through the modern education system, uh, there's no such thing as demons and angels. They make fun of Satan. They make fun of God. 
in their arrogance, all one step away from eternity, one heartbeat away, one breath of borrowed air away from eternity, but we act as if the spiritual things are not real and we don't need them. Well, Paul said to the Spirit, I command you, say it with me, in the name of Jesus. And that's where power is. And how I many know that's the way we're supposed to pray? That's why we close our prayers, not religiously, but in the name of Jesus. Because that was, that's the place of spiritual power. How I many know spiritual power is not in the volume of your prayer? It's in the power of the living Christ. Well, um, he commanded the name of Jesus, and that spirit came out of her, and she lost that spiritual ability. Now, you would think that everybody would be happy. You would think that, that uh, well, listen, if today, if, if you've got a drug habit going, if you're spending 100 a day, if you're spending 200 a day, and you come to Christ and get saved, uh, if you're a prostitute and, and, and you are working for someone and, and you're making them lots of money every day and you get saved, you'd think people would be happy, but, but they're not. The pimp's not happy and the drug dealer's not happy. I mean, I mean, we live in a world where what should give people cause for, for joy makes them angry because their motivation is an unbiblical motivation. Well, that's what, her, that's what her, her friends had for her. They were users, and they were using her. So because their anger, verse 19, they seized Paul and Silas. Now force comes into play. Verse 20, when they brought them to the magistrates. Magistrates were, were Roman, uh, the Roman government. They were the ones that were over this particular Roman province. It was like a mayor. They brought them to the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. Now in Acts 21, we know that the Roman emperor had commanded that all the Jews be thrown out of Rome. It was, it was a prejudice. It was anti-Semitism. It's what, the same thing we see today. It was, an, it was a, an unfounded hatred of the Jewish people simply because they were God's chosen people. So because they're Jews, so they appeal to that to try to get them out. Uh, verse 21, they advocate customs not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. In other words, they're advocating Christianity. In the Roman Empire, they didn't care what gods you worship, but they were very much against proselytizing. In other words, you couldn't try to convert me from this god to that god, or that would cause trouble. So now these people, because they're not making money, they're angry and upset, so they use a prejudice, they use an, an ism, if you, if you will, and then they use the problem with the economy, and then they use the Roman law. And what happens is they gave orders to beat them with rods. Now, a rod, I want you to imagine your little finger, and I want you to imagine a stick like a hickory stick, and it's about that big. It's big enough to where it won't break when you strike somebody, but it's strong enough where it would bruise your bones. I mean, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a, a football injury when you were playing, and not only was it a bruise in the muscle, but it, it bruised the... I mean, this was deep, and they would give them multiple lashes. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's a guy that was doing nothing but doing good, and trouble came to him. All he was doing was helping people and trouble came. Now we're going to look, what did he do when this happened? Because it gets worse. Verse 23, they throw him in prison. Uh, the jailer's ordered to keep him safely. He put them in the inner prison, fastened their feet with stocks. It's my understanding the inner, the inner prison was, was like a dungeon, four and a half or five feet tall so you didn't stand. The stocks were on the floor. You sat down in those stocks. No ventilation. So you can imagine it stunk. No bathroom breaks. So you lay down to go to sleep and you lay in your own urine and your own feces. I mean, it's not a nice place. Here these are, two godly men, and they're in this terrible time of trouble. So first let me say this to you. Jesus told us about trouble. John 16, I've told you these things, so in me you may have... 
Even if you're in the inner prison, is it possible? Is it possible that you're in the middle of a, of a, you know, of a bankruptcy to have peace? Is it possible that you know, your spouse has left you, you can still have peace? Sure. In Christ, you can have peace. In the world, you'll have what? But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In other words, there's a turnaround God coming that can turn your trouble into triumph. Now, Jesus took it up a notch when he said this in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And then he went on to say this. He said, if you were of the world, if you belonged to the world, it would love you. But you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out. That's why the world hates you. Now, listen, this is something that's really hard for me to grasp. I'm a, I'm a tender-hearted person. I'm sensitive. I, I, I just want to help people. I want to see people's lives do better. And it, and it really troubles me when, when the, the anti-religious, whatever you want to call them, secular, liberal forces in America attack a person that just simply wants to help people. Listen, if you just want to help someone as they're tr grappling with the whole issue of same-sex marriage and, 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 and what God thinks about it, and you want to help them get to heaven, I'm telling you, all hell breaks loose against you. A lawsuit could come against you in today's world. Uh, you know, in our world today, listen, a chaplain in the military recently said the phrase, there's no atheists in foxholes, a phrase that resonated in World War II, no atheists in foxholes, and now some atheist organization is demanding the military silence his voice. Our president is asked to sign a, a... It's gotten so bad in the military, our president was asked to sign a bill that would protect the religious freedom of those serving in the military, and he wouldn't sign it. Now, you need to explore that on your own. See if it's true. See, it is, it's out there. Well, there's a hostility in America to not just religion, to the God of the Bible, to the one who gave the commandments on Sinai, to the one who said, I'm the way the truth and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, it's okay in America if we make up God in our own image, if we worship our belly button or anything else. But when Jesus becomes the issue, there's a hatred. And I say that basically because Satan will use trouble as spiritual warfare in your life. And you may face some things as a believer that are very unique to the fact that I am a Christian. So here again, we've painted this picture of trouble, and when it comes, what do we do? And I suggest to you there's two options when we do when trouble comes. The first one is, it's the easy one. <laughs> we get discouraged. Now, I want you to think about this. You're sitting in this inner prison. Uh, I don't know what the temperature was, but it's likely underground, so it's probably cold. So you get the shivers going on a little bit. It stinks because of the people that have gone before you. You've got these wounds, this blood, and you've got a critter crawling. Come on, it's dark. You can't see. If there's ever a time to listen to that little whisper in your ear that says God doesn't care, that's a good time. You, you ever heard that whisper when you're in a low spot in your life? God doesn't love you. There's no hope for your life. Things are not going to get any better. Come on now. Nobody loves you. Nobody really cares about you. And then that other little lie says, well, just go ahead and take your life and end it all. Actually, the world will be better if you do that. See, that's all a lie. How many know every time Satan's opened his mouth, he's lying? So, so, so there's a lie coming out, and it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to, to want to give up. It's easy to want to quit. It's easy to complain. Come on, Facebook. It's easy to get mad at God. But when we do that, here's what we do. It's like, it's like to welcome. I mean, faith welcomes God for the turnaround. Unbelief and doubt shuts the door. 
Now get this, because this is an undercurrent of the message. If you will keep your faith alive when you're in trouble, you have just put out a welcome mat for God to come in. Faith is like, remember the old castles with the moat, and they had a drawbridge? Well, faith is the drawbridge that you let it down that gives God the opportunity to come into your life. Doubt and unbelief raise the drawbridge. Now, can God come across anyway? Well, sure He can. He can walk on water, but most of the time He doesn't because God responds to faith. And this is something that we're going to see in this passage uh, when trouble comes. So the first option is not a good one. Now, let's read about the second option as we see this example. Acts 16, verse 25, it's about midnight. It's the dark time of the night. Uh, There's no cable TV in there. Come on. This is not an American dungeon. There's no dish. There's no direct. I mean, there's no entertainment. It's dark. There's no lights. Nothing going on. And they're doing the most amazing or you might even think odd thing. What are they doing? Praying and singing hymns to God. Stinking, dirty, dark, hurting, and they're praying. Can you just hear them now? Oh, God, I don't know why I got up this morning and it would have been better if I had just stayed home. I, I don't know why I left my, I don't know why I left Jerusalem. It was going pretty good in Jerusalem. <laughs> don't you love me anymore? Please. I don't get that picture. I get the picture that they're praying and worshiping. They're not saying, oh, we're so happy. They're not saying that, but they're saying this. Lord, we love you anyway. You're the one who started the good work in me. You're going to bring it to completion. You said, fear not, because I am with you. So, Lord, we just want to say, we welcome you in this place. And all of a sudden, something happened. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, and the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened, which simply means that door that held them locked tight opened up, and the shackles on their arms fell off. Now, you'd think everyone would have run away. The jailer woke up, saw the prison doors open, drew his sword, and was going to kill himself, because that was Roman law. If you're a Roman soldier and you lose a prisoner, you take your own life. He was going to kill himself, uh, supposing they'd escape. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. So let me give you the meat of the message this morning. This will help you. When you face trouble, you can release spiritual power by prayer to turn around and worship to turn around your troubles. Prayer helps you endure while it's going on, and prayer helps you turn around. Worship helps you endure, and worship helps you turn around. Now, look, there is no substitute for this. Television can help you escape for 30 minutes or an hour or six hours, but when the shows and shows are over, you're still in the same spot. Let's talk a minute about prayer. And not just prayer, because persistent prayer is what we're speaking about. Now, listen, I I fully fully understand that this dilemma was solved in a few hours. And many of us are facing troubles today that have been going on for days, weeks, months, years, or decades. I can tell you this. I cannot guarantee you an earthquake every time you have trouble to get you out. But I can tell you, if you maintain faith and worship, you're going to be more apt to get out of that thing than complaining. But let's, let's explore it. Um, Jesus taught us about persistent prayer. And he told his disciples a parable, Luke 18, to show them that they should, say it with me, Always pray and not give up. 
Because that's the great challenge that I face. Listen, when I want something to happen and it doesn't, I'm telling you, I feel like quitting. I live in a microwave age. I think everything should be solved quickly. But you should pray and not give up. And this is where real faith comes in. Jesus said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with her plea. Now, a widow in their day, uh, it was not like America. She didn't have rights. There was not a social services network to support her. Uh, women in their day, sadly, were on the bottom of the social ladder. And particularly if she was by herself as a widow, she's in a tough spot. So she's a widow. This judge has no motivation whatsoever to listen to her. No money's involved, no power, no favors. And she said, grant me justice against my adversary. Well, he refused for some times, but finally he said to himself, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. Now, the phrase is bothering me, and it's, and it's the sense that it's over time. And the parallel here is to prayer. But she's doing it over and over and over and over until. If you want to remember the acronym PUSH, pray until something happens. That's what we have to do sometimes in long-standing trouble. But then verse 7, uh, listen to what the unjust judge says. Now, some parables are, 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 he's showing us this is what God is like. It's similar. It's a simile. Some are just the opposite. You know, some are saying, now look, an unjust judge is this way. Now, God is the what? The just judge, and he's just the opposite. So now Jesus said this, um, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who, say it with me, cry out to him? Now, I got to tell you, in the middle of the night, it's easier to take a melatonin. Come on, it's easier to watch TV than it is to cry out to God. Come on, religious folks on Sunday morning. It just is, but I'm telling you, there's some power here to be released in this. Uh, I, I tell you, he will see they get justice quickly, but then he asked a, a profound question. He said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, will most people, because trouble is so severe, will they have given up? Will they have lost their confidence in God? Or will they still be trusting and believing and, and, and believing that God's a turnaround God? It's a big question. Now, uh, I, let me make this statement. Well, first of all, worshiping God. We talked about prayer, but let's talk about worship just a second. Worshiping God can open prison's doors. Now, Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Christ, let us continually offer up a, a sacrifice of praise to God. Now, how many know, listen, if you're at home and, you know, you got home from work and you're waiting on your spouse to get home and they call you, or, or maybe they just send you a, a picture of a $5,000 bonus check, you know what I mean? And, and in the little message bar, it says, come on, baby, pack the suitcase, get a babysitter. We're going to Dallas. We're going to have some fun. And you say what? Oh, praise Jesus. He's so good to me. And, and, you, and, you, and you just put it on Facebook and you're so, so happy, so happy, so happy. How many know, listen, God is still good whether you're going to Dallas, come on, or whether you've just lost your job, come on, or whether somebody's walked out of your life, God is still good. And this is where real worship comes to the forefront. When praise is not just thanking you for what you've done, but thanking you for who you are in the midst of trouble. Isn't this the whole message of the book of Job? We just finished that in our Bible reading. I hope you're reading with us last chapter today. But didn't, isn't that the whole message? Where Satan says, if you'll just take the good stuff away from Job, he'll curse you to your face. 
And this man passed the test, come on, and God turned things around and blessed the latter part of his life twice as much as the first. Listen, trouble came, but a turnaround God can turn trouble into triumph. Well, this thing about worship, Job did this. After his kids were killed and lost everything, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine losing one child. People that I have known that have had this happen, I, I, I cannot imagine it. But if you lost every child, you're doing their funeral and you've lost everything, all your money, come on, uh, identity theft or whatever, it just happened. Everything, all your assets, everything is all gone. Lines of credit open in your name and you have real, real problems. Listen to what Job said to his wife, Job 120. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and... He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He didn't say, I like it. He didn't say, I understand it. He recognized God's ultimate sovereignty, but he simply said, I still love you and I still believe in you. I'm telling you, friends, this persistent prayer and this worship in spite of the trouble is like you going down on a trampoline for the turnaround God to turn things around. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. A couple more thoughts. Acts 16, we're back to Paul now. And here's what I want you to see that, that you've got to lay hold of. God can cause good to come out of trouble. Let me be very clear to you. Trouble is not good. But God can turn trouble into something good. I'm seeing this lived out in my wife in her journey through cancer. I'm seeing the people that Linnell impacts because she has chosen to keep going with God and not quit. Acts 16, verse 29. Mind you the story now. The earthquake has happened. They're all standing there. Uh, the jailer is there, verse 29. He calls for lights. He rushes in trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. He brings them out of the dungeon. And what does he say? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved and your household. Now, I want you to think about this. What would have happened... If Paul would have got in there and said, Silas, I ain't doing this no more. When we got to here, we're going home. What would have happened if discouragement would have defined their life? Nothing. They'd have had a sleepless night and they'd have woke up in the morning stinking and hurting. But because they were men on a mission from God, I'm telling you, God turned that trouble into something good. And I want to tell you this, friends, God can take when you go through trouble in the turnaround process, not just getting you out, but Paul's whole life was lived to see people come to Christ. Paul's whole identity was seeing as many people as he can for the kingdom of God, populating heaven, making it hard to go to hell from wherever he was. And when this turnaround starts happening, God turned the troubling situation into salvation. And I'm telling you, doesn't Romans 8.28 says something that for all of us to embrace? It says, and we know that those who love the Lord, listen, that God causes, say it with me, everything to work together for the good of those who loved God, called according to His purpose. It doesn't say everything is good, but God will use that, come on, to advance His ultimate purpose. And you're like on that trampoline. Listen, and unlike this floor that doesn't give, when you jump on a trampoline, how many know it pushes you up in the air and turns you around? He's a turnaround God. Give Him one last hand today. He's good to us. I'm going to close with this, and uh, Pastor Nick comes, and as I prepare to close, I sure hope that you'll stay and hang out a little bit, 
The reason we do these little meals is not just to raise a couple dollars. It's to fellowship. It's to connect people to friends. And I can't think of a better way. I know the cafe's small and crowded. It's not, not that bad outside. You can join us in the park or they'll have some other tables set out. But anyway, whether you stay or pick up something for home, let's take this last minute. And I want to read a couple of scriptures to you again. What do you do when you're in trouble and you're waiting? I, I wish I could tell you every time trouble comes, the earthquake is around the corner. But sometimes you've got to wait. And it's so important what you do while you're waiting. It's so important that your mind is focused on what's true, not on what you feel. And let me give you just a few scriptures that really, really help me when I go through times that I, I, I wish were different, how God helps me in all this. Let me just read a couple things. Jesus said this, I'll be with you always. Even to the end of the age, I'll be with you. Listen, I, I, I've been on a hospital bit, Gurney. I, I know what it's like when your wife says, I'll see you, honey. And I, I know what it's like to say, I hope I'll see you too. I know what it's like to go down that hall, come on. And something inside cries out, thank you, Lord, for with me. You said you'd never leave me, you'd never be forsake me. So I can take a deep breath and know my life is in the hands of God. I'll never, I'll never forsake you. Peter said this, Give all your worries and cares to God. Give all your worries and cares to God because He cares about you. Matthew said this, Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. So isn't that a great starting place if you've lost your job, if you're having some financial pressure? He didn't say that He'll pay every MasterCard off now. Okay. But, but he said he'd give you clothing, he'll give you food, he'll give a roof over your head. Isn't that a good place to start when trouble is in your life with the truth? Isaiah said this, don't fear because I'm with you. Fear not. Told my, that's the scripture I teach my kids when they were scared at night to sleep in their room when the boogeyman came out. Fear not because God is with me. Listen, a three-year-old can say that. Fear not for God is with me. I'm going to strengthen you and I'm going to help you. Now look, when you feel helpless and you read that passage or it comes up in your heart and God says, I'm going to help you. I'm telling you, it'll do something for you. Jeremiah said, call unto me and, and I'm going to answer you. Call unto me and I will answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things. Jeremiah said, I know the plans I have for you. God is speaking. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and plans to give you a future. When you feel like your life's going nowhere and you don't know what tomorrow is going to unfold, don't the words of Jeremiah bring great comfort to us? God's got plans for my life. Come on, he's not through with me yet. And the words of Jesus where we started this morning, I'm going to turn your sorrow into joy. And I'll do these things because I'm a turnaround God. Come on, give him a big hand. He is worthy, worthy, worthy of all our praise. Once you stand up, we're going to sing a worship song and, and then we're going to pray. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to come and, and be with us for a moment. Well, Lord, we just want to come before you today and just say that we love you. And we're so glad that you love us. We're so glad that you care about us. We're so glad that we don't have to live life with worry and fear and anxiety. We're so thankful, Lord, that we saw in our brother Paul's life how you turn trouble into triumph. But Lord, for many of us today, we may be in trouble. We may not handle it that way. 
we may default to option one and we get discouraged and quit quickly and walk away and turn our back. I, I want to ask you to help us. Could I pray this prayer for myself, Lord, and say, well, Lord, you help me be stronger spiritually. Would you pray that for yourself now? Lord, help me be more spiritual, more stronger spiritually. Let me not give up when life is hard. Give me an ability to pray, cry out to you. Give me an ability to pray like Paul when I'm in my inner dungeon. Give me an ability, Lord, to worship when nothing's going right. Would you help me, Lord, be that kind of Christian? We just say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Would you just say that? Say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome. I don't want to just be a 911 Christian dialing 911 when trouble comes. I just want to be able to take your hand and hold it a little tighter because I'm already walking with you. Welcome, Lord.